Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Just before Christmas 1968, three men blasted off from Cape Canaveral, Florida. Frank Borman, James Lovell, and Bill Anders were on a very special mission to orbit the moon for the first time. They were leaving behind a world in crisis. Martin Luther King was shot and was killed tonight in Memphis. 232 GIs killed and 900 wounded makes one of the heaviest weeks of the Vietnam War. Senator Robert Francis Kennedy died at 1.44 a.m. today, June 6, 1968. 1968 was the year the world tore itself apart. The unrest and violence had spread rapidly. In Paris, it was a night of wild disorder. Russian tanks and infantry have occupied Czechoslovakia. And as the three astronauts soar into lunar orbit, they pray for the people back home. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. They go around the moon three times, recording data, trying to pick landmarks out of the relentless gray. But I couldn't get a quick enough look at it to see if it might be anything volcanic. But on their fourth orbit, Bill Anders looks out of his left-hand side window, and he sees something that makes him lose that trademark astronaut composure. Oh my God, look at that picture over there. There's the Earth coming up. Wow, is that pretty? Just over the moon's curved horizon, a slither of bright blue is rising up from the blackness. It's the Earth. This rich patchwork of green, white, and dazzling blue. Coming out of the darkness. A small, perfect circle in our huge universe. So far away, so beautiful. 
Get a color film, Jim. Hand me a roll of color quick. Oh, you? man, that's crazy. Quick. quick. Bill scampers to get a camera and load a roll of film to get a once-in-a-lifetime shot. Just grab me a color, a color exterior. Okay, calm down, Bubba. The earth rising in the distance. Oh, I got a ray. Oh, that's a beautiful shot. Probably seen that shot. It's now become known as Earthrise, one of the most powerful photos ever. It showed the world as a singular, fragile oasis. And God saw that it was good. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. When they landed, Bill, who took the photo, said, we came all this way to explore the moon. And the most important thing is that we discovered the Earth. That photo, it changed Bill. He'd grown up your classic cold warrior, convinced the Soviet Union was evil incarnate, that America's role in the world was to defeat its enemies. But when he saw the Earth, he had a profound realization. This is the only home we have, and yet we're busy shooting at each other, threatening nuclear war, and wearing suicide vests. It amazes me. You can't go to space, see the Earth from a distance, and come back the same person. Bill was only in space for a week, and it changed his whole life. It's an experience many astronauts talk about. The feeling of suddenly seeing our planet from a distance, realizing that we're all connected, that our humanity transcends national borders and politics. The philosopher Frank White even gave that feeling a name, the overview effect. I wonder if Sergei Krikalev experienced something like it. Decades later in space for 313 days, Watching storms brew and subside, city lights go on and off, seeing no countries, no borders, just these huge anonymous yellow-green chunks of land suspended in a brilliant blue sea. How did that change him? And what would happen when he came back? I'm Lance Bass, and from Kaleidoscope and iHeart and Exile Media, this is The Last Soviet. It's early 1992. Sergei Krikalev has been in space for nearly a year. After a long day of repair work, he floats over to his ham radio station, looking forward to a call with Maggie. They talk about normal stuff, what he's been doing on the station, about Maggie's kids, but then the tone changes. She says, Sergey, I actually have a question for you. It's from a journalist. He wants to know if the Russians are selling Mir, your space station. Could it really be true? They want to sell the station that he sacrificed so much to keep alive? Sergei doesn't know what to tell Maggie. In fact, the Russians had put a price tag on the space station. 
$600 million. NASA was tempted, but in the end, the Americans decided it was a national security concern. It went nowhere. Meanwhile, the Russians are desperately trying to sell a seat to space. It's the only way they can get enough cash to bring Sergei back. And so month after month, the same directive crackles across the radio. Just stay put. But Sergei is getting agitated. He asks Mission Control to send a supply craft with some honey to cheer himself up. Sorry, they say, none available. Times are tough. They sent lemons and horseradish instead. But finally, Sergei receives the call he's been waiting for. We found a German cosmonaut. He's buying a seat for $24 million. You're coming home. Sergei makes calls to his family. The news spreads. He does a press conference. One Russian journalist asks him, when you left Earth, it was still the USSR. Your city was called Leningrad, and now it's St. Petersburg. What is the biggest change for you? Sergei pauses, then says, so much has changed. But what surprises me most is that at first the earth was dark, and then it was light. It was winter, then summer. Now everything is thawing again. That's the biggest change you can see from here. His last days are filled with handover tasks. Checks, final repairs, writing up notes for the next crew. And then it's time to call Maggie. U5 and my RVK3 CFI. U5 and ready to go home. Okay. She sounds flat. Not her usual self. Oh, Sergei. I'm going to miss you. But glad for you to go home. He says, I'm glad too. But I'm going to miss my friends. And then the connection cuts. Now, Maggie, you have a few things too that you would like to read to us that they actually sent to you from space. Oh, one is a very poignant letter. That's Maggie on an Australian radio show. Um, perhaps, Margaret, you have read um, that that they considered uh, Sergei a time traveler. Uh, in other words, he was in space while his country changed its name. That's right. The yes. uh, political system uh, dissolved. Everything changed. Everything away. changed. And uh, their pay changed, um, their, their rank, their status, everything changed. And he was in space. He was going to return to a new world. It was rather like he was a time traveler. And I received a really lovely letter from Sergei. Would you like to hear that letter? Yes, it's, yes. it's rather interesting. And this is what Sergei said, and I had it translated. 
To be precise, it is as yet difficult to say how our life will change in these circumstances. Previously, the borders between republics were by convention. If the republics are separated any more, there will be more problems. From space, the Earth is like a map. But in contrast to a map, there are no borders seen. It is pleasant when there are fewer borders. People can rub shoulders, be friends, travel freely among each other, and get to know one another more. Many of our friends and relatives live in different republics. If rigid borders between neighboring people appear, then that will be bad. Sergei's vantage point on the collapse of the USSR was, to say the least, unique. Like Bill Anders, the guy who took the Earthrise photo, Sergei experienced his own version of the overview effect. He continues to say, there are always changes going on. Even when one returns from a short journey, one must become accustomed to changes. And his very last comment, it's a long flight now. Rapid changes at home. We know a lot from news on the radio. But for all that, in order to understand everything and get used to it, it is necessary to return and plunge into this life. On the 25th of March, 1992, Sergei's capsule lands in the desert steppes of Baikonur, now Kazakhstan, a new country. People run to the capsule, open the hatch. Sergei's lungs fill with fresh air. He feels hands dragging him out. He tries to move, but his limbs feel like heavy dough. His skin's clammy. Someone is fanning his face with a handkerchief. He feels a blanket being wrapped around his shoulders. Warm broth is spooned into his mouth. The press cameras click away in the background. After the doctor has checked his blood pressure and heart rate, Sergei, still pretty out of it, is bundled off into a small plane that's going to take him home. But it's not home as he knows it. When he left, his city was called Leningrad. Now, it's St. Petersburg. And in the new St. Petersburg, Sergei, the hero who saved Mir, earns less than a taxi driver. He discovers he can barely afford his weekly shop. And no one cares about cosmonauts. Now we live in a different reality. That's Artemy Troitsky again, one of the founders of the Gagarin Raves. I think that the perception of normal people here is just, forget it. All right, yes, we had the first man in space, it was great, but you know, so what? So what? The dream of the Soviets conquering space, the dream that started with Yuri Gagarin, it died. Sergei has sacrificed everything for this dream. His own body, time with his family. But now, finally back home, He's a nobody. In this new reality, there is simply no space for space. (laughs) Everything is very much down to earth now. And Sergei is maybe starting to wonder, will he ever go to space again? 
is a real space hero, the second biggest space hero after uh, Yuri Gagarin. But in this country, he's almost unknown. His colleagues are leaving the space agency in droves to work in places making plastic toys, Coca-Cola, Western products. And if they can't get those jobs, they sell their space medals in the metro. But then sometime in the summer, just as the first long, warm evenings are creeping up, Sergei gets an opportunity from an unlikely source. And I said, okay, what is it? He said, well, it's STS-60, and you're going to have two Russian cosmonauts who are going to train with you. And one of them will fly, and I said, forget it. I'm a Marine. I trained all my life to kill those guys, and they trained all their life to kill me, and I don't want to fly with any damn Russian. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford. 
a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. My preconceptions about the USSR was that they were one of the most powerful militaries in the world, and that everything that they did was designed to take down the U.S., and that they would stop at nothing to do that. They were our ultimate enemy. That's Charles Bolden, retired astronaut and the first black NASA administrator. Well, I'll tell you, I did not want to become an astronaut growing up. I grew up in the segregated South during the time of Jim Crow and schools. And because of the way things were when I grew up, I knew what astronauts were, but that was not anything that was remotely possible in my mind. They were all white. They were all about 5'10". I was none of those. I, and I never did become 5'10", so I was never going to get tall enough to be an astronaut in my mind. Instead, Charles joined the Army. Major General Charles F. Bolden, Jr., U.S. Marine Corps retired. He fought against the communists in Vietnam when things were at their hottest. He risked his life, and he came back to the U.S. a certified Cold Warrior. And in 1981, Charles applied to become an astronaut. He went from fighting communism in the skies of Asia to doing it on a much higher plane, space. We lived in a bipolar world at that time. And the two powers had been the Soviet Union and the United States with their president's fingers on the trigger that could destroy the planet. So we were by no means friends or wanting to be friends at that time. But then in December 1991, the Soviet Union fell apart. Just like that, the Cold War ended. America emerged victorious, and they saw an opening. Well, today, for the first time, an American president and the democratically elected president of an independent Russia have met. In February 1992, Bush Sr. and the new Russian president, Yeltsin, met for the first time at Camp David. And we did so not as adversaries, uh, but as friends. Standing side by side in their matching fur-lined parkas in front of the world's press, Bush presented the leader with a cake and a pair of black leather cowboy boots. And this uh, historic meeting was yet another confirmation of the end of the Cold War and the dawn of a new era. But behind the scenes, away from the cameras, there were very serious talks in the back rooms where politics actually happens. And it was not about friendship and world peace. No, President Bush was worried about something else. He became very concerned that with the disintegration of the Soviet Union, everything that was a part of the Soviet space program, as well as all their science and technology, their nuclear arsenal and everything, might be subject to some nefarious either nation-state or somehow, and he did not want to see all that go out across the world. The Americans were basically afraid that newly unemployed Russian engineers, guys like Sergei, would go work for other countries not so friendly to America say Iran. Who knew where the bombs, where the brain power, where all that stuff was going to go? 
It sounds a little James Bond, the maverick Soviet engineer gone rogue, building the most powerful nuclear weapon, but this was a genuine worry. And so the Americans thought, we need to try to get hold of this ourselves first. Which is how in 1992, astronaut Charles Bolden found himself in his boss's office, being assigned to a very special mission. And I said, okay, what is it? He said, well, it's STS-60, and you're gonna have two Russian cosmonauts who are gonna train with you. And one of them will fly, and I said, forget it. I mean, I didn't even hesitate. I said, George, forget it. I'm a Marine, I trained all my life to kill those guys, and they trained all their life to kill me. And I don't wanna fly with any damn Russian. But his boss says, look, we want to show the world that we can be friends with the Russians, our former enemy, that we can work together. And this is how we want to do it. This mission. I understand your concerns, but the Russian cosmonaut chosen, he's pretty impressive. And it turned out that there was this cosmonaut, young cosmonaut by the name of Sergei Konstantinovich Krikalov, who was the commander of Mir, you know, the guy who agreed to stay in space as his country collapsed for almost a year. And so he said, you may as well go to dinner with him and at least, you know, see what you think and then come back in and tell me tomorrow morning. Yeah, tomorrow morning. Because Sergei is actually already in D.C. And what we were trying to find out was, can we work together collaboratively or are we going to be at each other's throats and, and we just can't make this work? That evening, there's a dinner at a fellow astronaut's house, a seemingly relaxed affair. The dinner turned out to be the critical event in this whole thing, and it was everything pivoted at the dinner. There's a bunch of people there, but the two crucial players are Sergei and Charles. And so by way of introduction, we each started talking about our families. I had a son and daughter. Sergei said he had a daughter called Olga. And, you know, just a, a little baby, so to speak. So our conversation turned immediately to our kids and, and what they were doing and everything. And eventually we started talking about, you know, what, what kind of world did we want our kids to grow up in? If we were king for a day or whatever, what would we do to make the world a better place for our kids? And we talked a pretty long time. We were both the same way. We wanted a peaceful world. We wanted a world in which People work together collaboratively for the good of humankind, and we, you know, we, we just made things better. Charles came home that evening in a daze. This was his first time meeting a Russian in person, a former enemy. He was impressed, and turns out they shared the same worldview. The next morning, Charles calls his boss and says, I've changed my mind. I'll go on this mission. And so a couple of days after that dinner with Charles, Sergei gets on another plane to the American Star City, Houston, Texas. That's after the break. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. 
She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here... We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. For this whole thing to work, Sergey first needs to integrate into the American way of life. And so NASA assigned him a cultural handler. My name is officially Kenneth S. Reitler, Jr. Ken was in a way given the hardest job, to introduce this Russian cosmonaut to capitalism. He'd spent months thinking about what it might be like to be in Sergei's shoes. He'd seen the news on TV, the empty shelves and the collapsing country. But now, standing in Houston arrivals, it was time to put the research to the test. We weren't sure about how they were driving. We didn't know whether they understood how rental cars work. I remember showing them how to go to a self-service gas station and pump gas and pay for it, and how to go to an ATM and get cash out of it, things like that. So Ken's got Sergey a car, a bank account, a new rental apartment, 
And now it's time to buy some groceries. He takes Sergey to a giant supermarket nearby called Fiesta Mart. A fun place. It was one of the bigger, more interesting shopping centers. Everything you could possibly want there. Uh-oh, Ken. Bad choice. I saw his eyes get bigger and bigger as he saw so much stuff on the shelves. And it was very clear that there was a decision process going on. How am I going to decide how I buy food for my family? Sergey looks panicked. Ken's confused. What is it that is the problem? And he explained that they didn't have that many selections. And so he was struggling with trying to make a decision of product A versus product B. Ken's like, fine, we can take it easy. Let's meal plan. So we'll start with breakfast. All right, Sergey, what do you like to eat for breakfast? Well, I like to eat cereal. Okay, great. Let's go over here and he and I walk down to the cereal aisle. There's a whole aisle of cereal. Frosties, Cocoa Pops, Rice Krispies. And once again, you know, the eyes got big and he said, well, you know, in the Soviet Union, we have two kinds of cereal. We have white cereal and we have brown cereal. That is a problem (laughs) because we have a lot of cereal to choose from here. It takes some time to put it lightly. But finally, Ken and Sergey work through breakfast, lunch and dinner and make it to the checkout. And I realized at one point we had really achieved a major breakthrough. And that was when Sergey deferred to me to make a decision. And so you got enough trust in my judgment and my tastes that I could make decisions for him. I knew that we were on a really good path. The next step on that path was the actual training. Survival training, swimming training, ejection seat training, et cetera, et cetera. But the Americans aren't exactly worried about Sergey doing his homework. So I had been in space for five days, and Sergey at this point had had 15 months in space. He was the veteran space flyer. Sergey had way more flight experience than almost than our whole crew put together. And so on the 3rd of February, 1994, when Sergey was putting on his spacesuit ready to go into the capsule, Charles and Ken were 100% confident. It was time to show the world that Americans and Russians could work together. All systems are go for launch at this time, just a few minutes away from the 18th voyage of Discovery on an eight-day history-making mission with the first flight of a Russian cosmonaut aboard the United States Space Shuttle. I don't think any of us ever lost track of the historical significance of what was about to happen, let alone Sergei. Four, three, two, one... Let's do ignition and liftoff of discovery on a bold new era of spaceflight between the United States and Russia. I think most of us in NASA understood that the primary focus of the mission, no matter what it said in the public affairs guide, was to be a demonstration that Roscosmos and NASA could come together representing our two nations and demonstrate that we could effectively train to live and work together to carry off a successful mission that would benefit humanity. And one of the things that we did for the Russian people, we wanted to do a gesture that would that would mean something to them. And so we learned a Russian lullaby. I forget. (laughs) I can't even remember the name of it. But every Russian child knows this lullaby because it's sung to them every night at about eight o'clock when their parents put them to bed. That was the gesture to the people of Russia, to the children of Russia. 
to let them know that here's your crew member representing you and your country up here with us, but we want to let you know how much we appreciate your culture and, and this is our feeble effort to reach out to you. As soon as they landed a week later, the mission was declared a resounding success. Welcome home, Discovery. Prekrasna, i dobro pozdravit, Sergey. You've the way for a new era of cooperation in human spaceflight. Great job. The teamwork that came about as a result of preparing for that mission and conducting it was priceless. Because when Sergey came back, the United States and Russia decided they could do something big together. Something that would change space and politics forever. Within a few years, the brightest star ever will appear in the sky. There'll be a sign of hope because all these nations are coming together to utilize technology not to blow up humanity, but to make this place a better world. They decided to build something the size of a football field in space, the most expensive man-made object, and perhaps humanity's greatest symbol of peace, an international space station. It is what has allowed Russia and the United States from breaking up in the one successful venture that we have today with all of our diplomatic furballs and crazy acting. Next and final time on The Last Soviet. How Russia and America built something together in space and how I almost got to go. The Last Soviet is a Kaleidoscope production in partnership with iHeart Podcast and Exile Media. Produced by Samizdat Audio and hosted by me, Lance Bass. Executive produced by Kate Osborne and Mangesh Hadakador, with Oz Wolishin and Kostas Linos. From iHeart, executive produced by Katrina Norvell and Nikki Ettore. From Sam's Dad Audio, our executive producers are Joe Sykes and Dasha Lisitsina. Produced by Asia Fuchs, Dasha Lisitsina, and Joe Sykes. Writing by Lydia Marchant, research by Mika Golubowski and Molly Schwartz. Music by Will Epstein, theme by Martin Orstrich. Mixing and sound design by Richard Ward. And special thanks to Nando Villa, Alyssa Pollock, Will Pearson, Connell Byrne, Bob Pittman, and Isaac Lee. If you want to hear more shows like this, nothing is more important to the creators here at Kaleidoscope than subscribers, ratings, and reviews. So please spread the love wherever you listen. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. 
Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.